today on Ag News Daily. You know, it's really funny. I think people don't realize that we have such phenomenal soil that we grow a lot of specialty crops here in Illinois. Our Thursday, October 6, 2022, Ag News Daily Podcast Edition brought to you today by Douglas Plant Health. To unharness your soil's fertility and maximize yield, consider Douglas Plant Health. Tanner Winterhoff joined by Delaney Howell on a beautiful Thursday morning. How's Delaney doing? I'm good, Tanner. Guess what I had for breakfast this morning? A cup of coffee? No, I don't like coffee. We've talked about this. (laughs) I know. That's why it's like, maybe she's going to surprise me. No, I had pumpkin bread. Ah, yes, your pumpkin flavored palate. Today is the perfect day for it because it's like a crisp fall morning. The sun is out. It's happy and it's like definitely fall feeling today. I'm dressed in my fall colors. I know you can't see me, but it's fall, Tanner. It's here. I tell you what, it's going to get even cooler tomorrow and into Saturday. Of course, we've already reported on that. So we. We don't need to cover that anymore, but we, I don't know if I'm ready for the cool temperatures yet. Are you? Uh, no, I'm definitely not. No. Well, staying on the weather format here, just across the seas, talking Paris. So out of France, French farmers are experiencing record drought. And unfortunately, their maize crop is going to fall to the lowest level in a long time. They will produce about 10 million tons. Granted, it's not a large influx for the corn market, but according to their attorney general on Wednesday, they predicted to be the worst harvest in decades. The crop forecast was an estimated yield of 7.9 million tons per hectare, or 7.9 tons per hectare, down from the average of 9.7. So you can see right there, Delaney, on a per per hectare basis, uh, that is quite a low production. 1.27 million hectares are planted this year. This would be their lowest production since 2003, the smallest in over 30 years. So that's not obviously doing not a big push into the corn market, but still a factor that is going to play as we consider what our stocks to use ratio is going to look like. Yeah, absolutely, Tanner. And switching tracks here just a little bit, but staying in line with crop-related news as we look at new tools to help farmers, Senate Ag Committee Chair Debbie Stabenow and Ranking Member John Boozman are urging the USDA to accelerate the expansion of margin protection tools to help producers address some of these increased risks associated with elevated production costs that we're seeing again this year with fuel and fertilizer. In a recent letter to Secretary Vilsack and Marsha Bunger, who is the administrator of the Risk Management Agency, the senators asked for expansion of options beyond those currently only available to dairy, cattle, swine, rice, soybeans, corn, and wheat, so that producers of additional commodities could also proactively manage risk. And the senators also called on RMA to increase risk management and education for both producers and agents to help them understand better ways to manage risk during these extremely volatile times that we're having, Tanner. Yeah, and I would say the education portion would be key because there's a lot of producers that I work with and connect with both professionally and through the podcast that state they don't fully understand the margin risk program. Mm -hmm. 
that is available and some choose to not use or choose to not participate because they don't fully understand, which it's hard to blame them. I don't usually, I don't know that I fully understand. understand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good. Just a real quick headline to hit here. Sweden has what they state confirmed that detonations uh, near the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines were the cause for excessive damage. They're stating that the leaks discovered by Sweden and Denmark first surfaced, and now they have been able to go down to the crash, I call it crash area. The article uses accident area to verify that there, if a course was sabotaged. So the agency is saying out in the Baltic Sea, this is a very serious investigation. And now with the evidence that has been seized, there is now considered a crime scene. So more to come there, but it does sound like that Nord Stream leak that we reported on earlier last week is considered to be uh, sabotage. Staying on that, I talk ethanol every week. Delaney ethanol output from the U.S. rebounded. You know, we were talking last week about having a seven-month low. However, our inventories are still declining. Production rose to an average of 889,000 barrels per day. That's up from the 855 last week. Uh, of course, like I said, stockpiles went down. They have now fallen to 21.685 million barrels. That is down from 22.6. So nearly a million barrels fell out of our stocks last week, Delaney, as we monitor ethanol production. Well, Tanner, speaking of stocks, I should have mentioned this story when you're talking about having tighter stocks uh, to use ratios, because although we might see some tighter supplies here in the United States, Brazil is set to harvest a record soybean crop despite La Nina risks. They said the arrival of some timely rains in September allowed for a very promising start to the 22-23 growing season. And farmers are poised to reap a record 150.62 million tons of soybeans, despite the ongoing risks associated uh, with the La Nina weather pattern. According to the average of 12 analysts polled by Reuters, expectations of a bumper crop are being driven by large planted areas. Tanner, larger than typical Brazilian soybean farmers have really pushed the envelope this year as to the size of this Brazilian soybean crop that has been planted. So while we might see smaller numbers coming out of other countries, Brazil is certainly set to say otherwise, although it's very soon in the growing season to know for sure. I was just going to say the analysts that we've talked to on our Market Mondays have stated that there are other South American countries that are struggling to get the moisture needed to germinate a strong crop. But it sounds like Brazil's weather patterns have continued to move in the right direction. Let's uh, get a message here real quick from DPH. For more than three decades, U.S. farmers largely organic have increased their yield to help with the help of SP1 Classic as fertilizer costs soar and supplying supply chain challenges loom, DPH Biologicals is expanding access to their trusted biofertilizer for you on your conventional acre. With TerraTrove SP1 Classic, the complete biofertilizer, growers can replace up to 50% of starter fertilizer. Visit dphbio.com to reclaim your soil's fertility. Headline here from Reuters Delaney states that Tyson Foods is moving their corporate jobs to Arkansas in the latest blow to Chicago. So according on October 5th, they made the announcement that they will join other corporate heavyweights moving out of Illinois. The largest U.S. meat company by sales stated that it will relocate corporate employees offices 
jobs from Chicago to the suburb and suburban Downers Grove, along with those in Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, to its headquarters in Springdale, Arkansas. This latest shakeup for Tyson has about 1,000 corporate employees involved, and they will transfer those down in a phased relocation process. It will move to foster closer collaboration and enhance team member agility to enable faster decision-making. But I can't help but think their Illinois tax policy, especially that around the Chicago metropolis, is probably a main driving factor to that, Delaney. But there is some news of profitability shifting from packers to farmers. So according to the profit tracker on AgWeb, market leverage has shifted dramatically towards the ranchers and cattle feeders over the last couple of months. The combination of rising cattle prices and declining wholesale beef prices has now eroded the historic packer margins to nearly only $21 per head, according to the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker. Feed yards saw an average of $58 per head profit in the week ending October 1st, down about $7 per head from the, pro- from the previous week. However, that is still based on a five-area average steer price of 145 and a quarter per hundredweight. So the break-even was placed at 150 as we look out into the future contracts, according to the Beef Profit Tracker. The $141 costs had rose to that $150 level. However, like I said, Delaney, they are projecting the packer margins to continue to shrink and now are already getting squeezed. According to the last report, like I said, it was down to $21 per head, coming off of a $46 per head report in the previous week. So looking there to see the profitability shift in a majority-wise back to the producer. You know, this is an interesting piece of news and probably one of my last. Uh, but as we continue to look at geopolitical risks, North Korea decided that they've been quiet too long and have flown some missiles over Japan. It's the longest distance to date on Tuesday, and that elicited a response from both South Korea and the United States on Wednesday when the two conducted rare missile tests in the region. But I don't know. They just decided they hadn't had enough attention lately, but didn't obviously give any reasoning behind these missile tests that they claim to be doing. But it's definitely uh, definitely concerned folks um, in the Western portion of the country, of the world. Yeah, we had, yeah, we had touched base on that yesterday. And the latest update I saw this morning is due to the combined South Korea, Japan, and U.S. Uh, practice missions that they ran yesterday, North Korea flew fighter jets mm-hmm. back over Japan in the early hours this morning. So uh, I call it peacocking. It just seems like we are showing what capabilities are available and hopefully we can avoid actually having to put those resources to use. Absolutely, Tanner. But I tell you what, I don't really have any other news today aside from commodity markets. What about you? Well, I've got one quick piece. So we'll hit a message here again from DPH. Remember that for more than three decades, farmers have increased their yields from the help of SB1 Classic. Fertilizer costs are climbing. Supply chain challenges are creating issues. DPH Biologicals is expanding access to their biofertilizer for the conventional acre with Teratrove SB1 Classic. Their biofertilizer now can help growers replace up to 50% of their starter fertilizer by visiting dphbio.com 
to check out more. So again, looks like we need to monitor the low water levels in Missouri River for fertilizer access and fertilizer processes. We talked about grain moving down, Delaney, yesterday, but we need to also consider that Florida and the Gulf is a key fertilizer producing area as well as importing state. So hurricane through Florida, low river levels in the Mississippi may impact fertilizer prices as we can't get the sources up to the Midwest. So that was my last headline. What do markets look like today? Markets are looking a little ugly today, Tanner. We are seeing new crop corn and soybeans trading lower at the midday here. December corn down about six cents at 678. New crop soybeans down about 13 cents on the morning at 1356. And wheat is also following suit here down about 16 cents in the December Chicago contract at 885. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits. We're seeing weakness in the cattle complex and strength in lean hogs. December live cattle down 17 and a half cents at a buck 47.75. November feeders down a buck 37 at 175.95. And December lean hogs up a dollar 30 today at 77.88. Tanner, we are kicking it over to a conversation that I believe you and Cassidy had recently with the Associate Director of Food Systems Development with the Illinois Farm Bureau. Another great opportunity for a wonderful Ag News Daily interview. We have Regala here, and she's with the Illinois Farm Bureau. But I'm going to let her introduce herself because her title makes it seem like she wears a lot of different hats. So welcome to the Ag News Daily podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I think my title sounds more exciting than it probably is. Um, I am the Associate Director of Food Systems Development for Illinois Farm Bureau and the Executive Director of the Illinois Specialty Growers Association. And what that means is I kind of do everything related to fruit, vegetable, flowers, um, and the regional food system. So talking about how to build food systems here in Illinois, helping direct to consumer sales, and helping those small farmers here in Illinois. So that was the target of our conversation today. And when you mentioned direct to consumer, we have a lot of interviews around the cattle industry, corn, soybeans, wheat, but we don't really get into the specialty crops. So what is Illinois known for on the specialty crop side of things? Well, you know, it's really funny. I think people don't realize that we have such phenomenal soil that we grow a lot of specialty crops here in Illinois. Our soil is primed to grow just about anything but tropical fruits um, and citrus. And we do grow a lot of that. Um, but we are most known as the number one pumpkin producers in the country, number one horseradish producers in the country. And we're top 10 production of lima beans cauliflower, asparagus, peas, green beans. So we actually have a pretty good specialty crop production. And if you didn't know, we have the third most number of farmers markets in the country. That's really interesting, Regella. And I, I think you're totally right. A lot of people don't know any of that about Illinois. And especially on our podcast, all we really talk about lately is corn and soybean harvest. So it's really exciting to get this perspective. So with pumpkins being the number one specialty uh, crop, what are some issues that these pumpkin farmers may be facing right now, even though it's their biggest time of the season? So we grow almost all of the processing pumpkins. So all that pumpkin that goes into your canned pumpkin, your pumpkin spice lattes, 
a lot of it's coming from Illinois. And what can impact this is the rain. Um, in the last few months before harvest, pumpkins can grow at an exponential rate in size, but rain can cause disease. And that actually can happen early on in the season in the summer um, that can lead to consequences in the production. We're lucky that for the most part this year, we actually had a pretty good pumpkin crop, but there were some that got quite a bit of rain that might impact their yields. Right now they're harvesting and we have a lot of our decorative pumpkins. So those pumpkin patches and what impacts those pumpkin patches is also weather. If it's too cold, it's too rainy. People don't want to go out to agritourism businesses, but keeping in mind their season is eight weeks. They have eight weeks to make their sales for the entire year. So people not getting out in that rain can impact what their entire year looks like from a production standpoint. That's a good point. We learned that Oregon is big for Christmas trees and kind of the same thing. It's a, a cash crop that has a very short season and kind of led into uh, the specialty crop conversations that we're having. Now, when we look at alternative practices for farming row crops, a lot of our producers are starting to incorporate cover crops. Is that also something that your specialty growers use? Our farmers, the specialty crops are extremely diversified. So in an answer, yes, they use crop cover crops, but they use it in a different way than you would expect. Um, we're doing rotational planting um, throughout the year, and they're always trying to do seasonal planting. So they're trying to get early and earlier seasons and later and later into the winter. So we have things coming into production as early as April and lasting all the way through November when possible. And that's things like using high tunnels, drip irrigation, um, or in the winter, instead of just cover crops, they'll plant garlic because garlic will need to win overwinter all winter, and then they'll dig that up before they plant their first yields of spring product. And in that same notion of kind of some climate safe practices that people are starting to implement in their farms, I think what you said about the farmers markets being really big in Illinois is another big climate thing that's in the news right now. So is this direct to consumer and locally grown foods really helping these specialty crop growers? It absolutely is in a several different manners. And um, we've seen this trend growing for the last decade. Now, COVID increased this quite a bit um, when we were having issues with the grocery stores um, and becoming essential businesses. In Illinois, farmers markets were deemed essential businesses because they're food access sites. So it's more than just you know, an economic standpoint. It's also food accessibility for communities. And we're also seeing agro-tourism be the fastest growing tourism in the country in terms of people want to get on the farm and they buy there um, from farm stands to markets that also become those food access sites. Um, so we're reducing our food miles. We're having a diversified crop, but we're also cre creating accessibility, which creates economic growth for communities. So this is considered a huge economic small community and urban community opportunity to put economic dollars back right in your community. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. it it's fun to have these conversations and gain gain perspective on where things take place and how things get accomplished. but. What are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges your specialty crop growers are facing currently? Climate continues to be an issue, amount of rain and water access. Depending on their location, an urban farm could have water accessibility cost issues because they have to use municipality water, which can be a very high cost. Um, zoning and regulation, if they're not deemed agriculture and they're doing an agro-tourism business, 
regulations with the health department. Um, and then it's just about growing, having land access to increase the growth and labor. Specialty crops are very labor intensive crops. Most are hand harvested, which means that you have to have a lot more labor to run all of those businesses. If you add agritourism in with ticket taking and on-farm stores, those don't qualify for H-2A, which is our legal visa system for migrant workers for agriculture, which means you have to find domestic workers to also work that. So the labor shortage is really impacting this sector of the industry, along with the rest of agriculture. And on the other end of that, Regella, what are some of the positives on the other side of these negatives that specialty crop growers in Illinois are looking forward to and excited about? They love connecting with the consumer. People are demanding to know where they come, their food comes from. They're wanting to get to know the farm. They're wanting to better understand how their food got to their plate. And it's an opportunity to explain how agriculture grows. They're so interconnected with the communities that people begin to understand that agriculture really does connect us all. They're engaged in conversations about driving community. They're looking at ways to reduce food waste, like the Farm to Food Bank program here in Illinois. Um, and they're really connected to growing food for families and communities here in the community in Illinois. No, that's great. This has been a really fun conversation and it's going to spark a little bit of interest, I think, with our listeners. So what is the best way for them to learn more about the conversation and maybe get in contact with you and your department? So there's a few different things they should do. We run a local food and farm directory. So if you're wanting to find those 350 farmers markets out there or go visit an apple orchard or pumpkin patch this season. Um, if you go to specialtygrowers.org slash shop local, we have over 2,500 registered food and farm businesses in our system. And if you want to know more just about the specialty crop industry or what's happening in the local food systems, you can email me at rscabuzo at ilfb.org. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Regella. I'm happy to be here. Again, Delaney, it's always fun. It's probably one of my favorite parts of the podcast is just getting to meet a lot of different ag professionals around the area. And of course, another great organization for us to tap into. So I hope our listeners enjoyed that conversation. Absolutely, Tanner. We're going to have another great conversation tomorrow, another Farmer Friday, looking at how harvest is hitting the Midwest. Actually, we're going to be taking things to Canada up north tomorrow with a very special podcast guest you don't want to miss out on. But Tanner, in the meantime, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.